Okay, everyone, welcome to another ARCS chat. My name is Robin Bauer Kilgo. I am the Association Manager for ARCS. Just a couple of quick, oops, hold on one second. Just a couple of quick um, technical notes. There is a little bit of a delay as we port things out onto the actual YouTube format. So just know about that. If we're talking, we will get to your question um, if it's posted up in the chat. I will also be keeping an eye on the chat the entire time. So if you have any technical questions or you just have any questions at all, please feel free to throw them in the chat and we'll keep track of them. Um, one other thing is if you want to participate in the chat, please log into your Gmail <coughs> YouTube account and you will be able to actually log in and talk along with us. And without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and hand the mic over to one of the other co-hosts, Amanda Robinson. Thanks, Robin. So today's topic has been aptly titled The Post-COVID Courier. This year has been a whirlwind of sharp changes and a drastic reimagining of how we as collections specialists care for our traveling collections. Many of us likely are faced with the challenge of figuring out new standards that work within our own institutions, and surely we're not alone in those endeavors. There has been much talk these past few months of virtual couriers and bookend couriers. And as we begin to reopen and plan for our new future, a few of us have already experienced some of these new technologies, technologies that we might have already been considering pre-COVID. But how realistic in the long-term is the long-term adaption of these new approaches? Is this a just for now solution or might there be some substantiality to these new practices? And what is the potential for us to come together as a collective voice with solutions that both meet our expectations as professionals and likewise propel us forward toward a new future? So joining us today to talk about this very fun and exciting topic is Aaron Koppel of LACMA, Marie Kidneydler of the Louvre Abu Dhabi and Asian France Museums, Stephanie Atkins of the Museum of Modern Art and Sarah Bueller of the Brandywine River Museum of Art. Thank you all to our panelists for joining us today. Now, before we dive in, I want to quickly acknowledge Sarah and the Courier Training Subtask Force, which is part of the Global Connections Task Force of ARCS. They champion this topic through to ARCS chat, and the group is responsible for pulling together much of the content of today's talk. And another special thanks goes out to Caitlin Corrigan of the Met, who helped bring together our wonderful panel today. So without further ado, let's get into the topic. One of the first questions I wanted to throw out to our panel today is how are some of the ways your institutions have adapted to the challenge of not sending couriers during this pandemic? And I think I'd like to start with Marie because she's kind of in a unique situation working with the Louvre Abu Dhabi. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Um, hello, everyone. Um, yes, I, I, I feel like I, I should give um, a bit of a precision because I'm I'm not working technically for the Louvre Abu Dhabi. I'm, I'm working for Agence France Museum. And we are um, acting as a producer. We are producing a Louvre Abu Dhabi temporary exhibition. Um, it has been set up in the uh, intergovernmental uh, agreement uh, passed between the French Republic government and the Arab um, Emirates uh, government. So uh, I am not talking on behalf of Louvre Abu Dhabi tonight because uh, it is not my institution, but I will be speaking about the way we are we have worked uh, for the, the deinstallation of one temporary exhibition, uh, which was co-produced by us IFM and the Musée de Cluny, which is a middle-aged museum, a national French uh, middle-aged museum. 
Um, so it, it is quite different. Um, normally, when we are installing temporary exhibition, we are sending an average of 40, 50 people, um, not only the courrier, but as well uh, external uh, conservator to perform with us and with the courrier, the condition reports. Uh, we are sending us, I mean, the IFM uh, registrar team and the project manager team uh, and the exhibition officer and the scenographer team um, and as well a French mounting team and hearts enders team. So um, there are as well some prerequisite to send people from abroad uh, in to work in the Louvre Abu Dhabi premises, which is uh, firstly the obtention of a permit to work in the Louvre Abu Dhabi, which depends on the emission of mission visa uh, given by uh, the, 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 the custom authority in Abu Dhabi. So during the pandemic, uh, it has, it, ha it has affected our organization because firstly of the closure of the borders, um, the, the suspension of the emission of those mission visa. So no one could obtain the permit to work because there was no mission visa. And there was as well a mandatory 14 days quarantine if you get to enter the country, which was very complicated at the time. So normally we should have sent 29 people for this exhibition the installation and it, it it became no no people no people that we sent from abroad no courier no conservator no hard handler from france and uh, we decided uh with a process that i should discuss with you all later to a complete and full and entire delegation to the Louvre Abu Dhabi team on site, which is in our case exceptional because we are used to a certain level of autonomy when it comes to uh, temporary exhibition, uh, not the entire uh, collection, not at all, but for temporary exhibition, we IFM have autonomy and we do the job on site, obviously with uh, the, the, the total approval and help uh, of the Louvre Abu Dhabi team. But this time it was a complete team composed by a registrar, uh, the preventive conservation unit head of the Louvre Abu Dhabi, one curator, three assistant curators, and um, six local has in camp Middle East heart handlers. Um, there was as well our FM chief operating officer, which is based in Abu Dhabi, so that was a precious help. And uh, an assistant working for IFM who coordinated with me the visio side. So um, the Louvre Abu Dhabi made all the work on site with um, the preparatory documentation that we gave us, which was composed by a detailed planning, extremely detailed planning, daily um, an illustrated operational phasing to identify very clearly which artwork, which showcase to do when, um, uh, as well the planning of the visio, which uh, we, we could discuss later, but which was very consequent. And um, 147 daily um, artworks files with all the documentation for every artwork that was exhibited in the exhibition and that were going to be de-installed. So we made a huge remote preparation 
that we give them, we gave them, and we we made meeting and we exchanges a lot. But in the end, they were doing the job every day, and that was completely new and unique in our organization. That's fascinating. And I, a follow-up question I was going to ask was, um, of the changes that you had to adapt to, do you see any of them as, as being something that might be permanent? But that seems like it would be a huge adjustment. Yeah, yes. It is uh, definitely a huge adjustment. And and like I said, I, I, I cannot speak on behalf of the Louvre Abu Dhabi, but I can give you my opinion about, about that. And I think... Um, we should, that's, that's my opinion and, and my exhibition service opinion that we should favor a case by case uh, management on that question because what we have succeed here to do with the Louvre Abu Dhabi team on a deinstallation, we cannot take it for granted for, for example, installing a, for, a complete exhibition from scratch. It is not the same level of commitment of uh, professionalism that is required and, and the, the same competence. Uh, so, um, and no, and I think as well, there is a different stake for French institution and museum that are quite attached, as you may know, because it is a, like a cliche, but we are indeed attached uh, to the traditional ways uh, of doing things and, and accompanying artworks is one of them. So um, I think within this framework, very specific of this um, partnership between the Louvre Abu Dhabi and the French Museum Institution, uh, it is quite essential that we listen to the need of both parties and the way of doing things of both parties before considering any of these changes as permanent or viable for the future. But again, this is um, the IFM and, and my opinion. No, but you bring up a very good point because you talked a little bit about how like this was different because it was the deinstallation process. And I'm curious to know if anyone else on the panel has had an experience or is planning for an experience where they're looking to do an installation somewhere, but in some way, shape or form, not sending the same crew or any type of crew in that regard to help. I'll talk. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming, yeah. by the way. Uh, so we have done similar to Marie. We've had a couple of exhibitions that have been out in the world that we've had to bring back um, without anyone able to travel for them. We had one that was out in Shanghai, China, and another one that was in Dharan, Saudi Arabia. Um, and similar to what Marie was saying, it is a whole lot of work when you were planning to send out couriers who already knew the exhibition who like conservators who are familiar with it art handlers registrars um and then trying to prep that to return without any of you um which we can talk a little bit more about later but we have sent um now two exhibitions to other domestic institutions where we would have normally sent a courier with the entire exhibition where we did not um we did have the benefit of having already shown them at lacma so we were able to do a lot of that prep work already um, so the sending them was a little bit easier. Uh, we did still have to do a whole lot more documentation than we normally would have done. Prepare, you know, copious install notes, meet with the team in advance, the other institutions, just to go over the packing images and the condition and 
go step by step through the uh, all of the install notes. Um, but they were fairly uh, successful. We had we hired we were able to hire a contract conservator at each of the locations to act um, as our agent, and we had met with them and gone over everything with them, uh, and we're just in constant communication with them the whole install, uh, and it went really smoothly actually so we haven't yet um had to do an exhibition where we haven't installed it at lacma yet and then we're installing it somewhere else but we are right now gearing up to do one in um macau which we were again going to send 18 for but we don't know that we will still be able to in march and that will mm. probably be our first one that we would have to do um where we haven't installed it at lacma first we have to install it for the first time elsewhere without someone that makes me think what um, what has the decision process been at your institutions when you're planning for projects, given our current current situation, especially as you look towards a project where you haven't first installed it at your institution first? Um, is it a is it a process that's similar to what it was like pre COVID or what are the factors that have changed and what are the decisions that you're being faced with this time around? Well, for yeah. us, we're still not allowed to travel at all. Business travel is still restricted. We've been closed since March. We've never mm -hmm. reopened. Um, so it's not really a decision. The decision is no courier at this point. <laughs> um, the, the decision we're actually trying to decide now when we're sending things out is the level of virtual courier that we want to assign to it. Do we need somebody for every step of bookend and then, you know, oversee everything we before? Can we get away with just the agent at the airport? That kind of thing. Um, so in that respect, it's, it's different, obviously, now than how it was handled before. Um, but the decision is still, it is with our phones committee still is how we make that decision, even to what the level of courier oversight, the virtual courier oversight is. Mm -hmm. That's still something that's been kept inside, like the collections department, the conservation department, the, that staff level is still the ones running the decision. Because it seems like um, some of the issues that institutions have been running up against is the administration stepping in to also weigh in on the costs related to courier sending. Of course, obviously the human safety is a big factor that's now being considered as well. Well, I will say, and I'll let somebody else talk because I've been talking for a while, but um, <laughs> for us, it was definitely a, with which I think for many institutions, an administrative directive from our director to try to reduce the number of outgoing loans couriers that we were sending. Um, but in our institution, our department was immediately brought in to discuss the feasibility of that, how to make it happen, what the risk factors are. So from an administrative level, it's more of a, this is what we want to achieve, how can we make it happen? But the individual case by case is still in the, in our department. And the, the, our loans committee is made up of registrar, conservation, uh, curatorial, and let's see somebody. Someone, someone else who plays a role. <laughs> Somebody else who plays a very important role, but I'll remember at a later time. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it is still what you're saying at that staff level that the decision is being made, but it is in concert and in reaction to what our administration is requesting from us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has that been a similar experience at the other institutions as well? 
Um, I can speak a bit from MoMA. Um, it's it's somewhat similar to what Aaron is describing. Um, we do have uh, our director is very uh, committed to reducing the number of couriers. This is after our initial closure. Uh, staff returned back in August. Now, excuse me, July, and we started uh, resuming shipments in late July. Um, so after that initial closure period, um, we did start. Uh, receiving shipments for loans that had been out and also releasing loans. Um, and we continued our normal regular monthly meeting where uh, we meet with representatives of curatorial, uh, registrar and conservation to determine the specific needs of each particular loan and shipment um, and decide how we would proceed. Um, and because we do have a current suspension for staff travel, we're just trying to apply some of the options uh, for our virtual career and the bookend options that you mentioned earlier, Amanda. Mm -hmm. And I bet probably before we get too ahead of ourselves, we should define what we mean when we say virtual courier as well as book and courier. And I went to pull up the white paper. And this is uh, some of the resources that we'll include in the podcast as well as, um, I don't know if we can include them now in the YouTube posting, but we might be able to drop a link to them in the chat. Uh, but there was a white paper that Jackie Cabrera wrote. Mm -hmm. Sorry, okay. Um, and that she defines it as well. And I'll see if I can't pull it up. But essentially, um, I'll start with bookend couriers. Bookend couriers is where you have one person at the outgoing point and another person at the receiving point. And there you get your idea of your bookend courier. And anyone can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Feel free to jump in. Uh, and then virtual courier is uh, attaching certain things like um, maybe GPS, but I feel like she might have been talking about that in a separate in a separate scenario, but other things like doing FaceTime for install, other things like that, like a virtual um, person rather than a physical person being there. Hopefully I'm correct when I'm saying that, but we'll give you the correct information in the chat. Uh, but that's what those two terms are talking about when we're talking about these new technologies, new ways we're doing things. Uh, that's what we mean. And probably uh, most institutions might have a slightly tweaked definition themselves. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, but, but when we refer to it today, we'll use that definition. Right. And there's another paper, another, I, I'm calling them white papers, but it might not be the, the correct term, but the UK registrar's group also wrote one as well. And I believe Jackie links to it in her uh, white yeah. paper. So the those registrar resources hour. Yeah. Thank you. That's what it's called. The registrar hour. Yeah. Um, I read this really late last night. So I feel like my brain is still processing some <laughs> of the information that came my way. Um, but it's interesting. You, you all talk about that. You're starting to you're starting up again with receiving shipments, Stephanie at, at MoMA. Um, and I can say, at least for our institution, we had, we had approved a loan pre COVID and actually had to go back and decline it because it was a project that we weren't willing and it was happening too soon for a vaccine to necessarily be widely available. So we had to um, renege on that, which was a hard decision to make because it would have been a really fantastic project to be a part of. And I imagine other institutions are facing similar decisions but I'd like to hear a little bit about how shipping, shipping has been going for you, Stephanie, and what that experience has been like. 
Sure. So we have a small sample so far. Really, we've completed about 20 shipments that had previously identified courier requirements. So we have just been meeting regularly, as I mentioned earlier, to you know identify precisely what um, we would like to employ, which solutions we'd like to employ. And we've had a range. Um, and you mentioned earlier that the GPS trackers, and we've utilized those multi-sensor trackers, which have not only GPS, but temperature, humidity, um, and vibration sensing. Um, we've done that for a number of shipments. We have had follow cars um, for at least one shipment. I think with that, that was uh, a USGI requirement. Um, we have used bookend couriers um, as well. Um, in some cases, we have been able to waive all of our requirements, um, but we have frequently used the live oversight via FaceTime or WhatsApp. So the various, we've used lots of different formats um, for this so far, and we're really testing how that's working. Um, the, the bulk of what we've done has been for outgoing loans. Um, we had uh, extended exhibitions that we have on site. Uh, and so we'll be doing the other side starting in January when those exhibitions will be closing. So we're testing out all of the different technologies and how those will work with our Wi-Fi, as well as what this means for workload implications and shifting responsibilities as well uh, within um, what conservators will be asked to do, what registrars will be asked to do to provide this um, ability for our lenders. Mm -hmm. In the press, Sorry. oh, go ahead, John. I was going to ask, um, you, you mentioned uh, indemnity requirements. I mean, how much of a factor um, has that played in your decision making so far? And I, I bring that up also because uh, Ms. Loiko is uh, joining us on the chat. So if you have questions or comments, you can um, I, I, maybe I shouldn't volunteer her to answer them, but uh, know that, uh, you know, she, she is listening and can maybe, um, you know, help guide you or some aspect of that. <laughs> uh, for MoMA, it's, we've only had this issue with one particular uh, exhibition so far that was an indemnified uh, show that we were lending to um, and a return shipment at that. So that was the one for which we had a follow car. Um, we are looking ahead to the dispersal of one of our exhibitions exhibitions, the Fenion exhibition, which is currently indemnified. And so we've been working, not my department, um, but this is through our exhibition planning and administration uh, department with Pat about uh, how to proceed with those uh, dispersal shipments. I just want to um, chime in. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on a much smaller scale. Uh, the Brandywine's a small to mid-sized museum. Um, we've received loans. Um, we had a co-organized traveling exhibition that um, we delayed the deinstallation and dispersal of due to COVID. Um, we would typically send a courier um, with, uh, we had a, a partner that was a partner exhibition and one of us would normally go to oversee the whole deinstallation. Um, and we waived that um, and I don't think any other institution did send a courier to that um, dispersal either. And then we would typically, we had a, a lot of loans in the show. We would typically have a courier on the truck back and we, we waived that as well. Um, mostly because of the travel restrictions, but also um, I think if it had happened now, we would have also um, decided against um, sending anyone and um, 
we, we just trusted in our, our colleagues um, at that institution to handle everything for us. Um, Robin, I was wondering if we may have had any questions come in through the chat that we wanna throw at the panelists. Not so far. There was a, a kind of a, a very a good question, which I'm sure a lot of you have experienced, which was, has LACMA canceled any loans or exhibitions? Um, but I'm guessing that quite a few people have had to deal with changing of their exhibition schedules over the past couple months. <laughs> Let's just make it more general at that point. Yeah, lots of postponements, extensions, postponed again, extended again. Um, I think our Exhibitions team has had quite a challenge, uh, as I'm sure all yours has, trying to reschedule the, you know, schedule, especially touring shows that we have lots of partners with, their shifting schedules, and um, yeah, just pushing them. So we have not on site had any canceled ones. We have several exhibitions that we, that are touring now and are in the process of touring, and we had, um, a few venues drop out uh, and we've rescheduled or kind of rearranged the schedule, but we've also been able to add other venues to that as well. Um, for loans, we've had fewer canceled than I was expecting. Um, almost everything got postponed and again, postponed again and again and again. Um, we have had a couple of ones canceled, um, which, you know, I think as other institutions are assessing their budgets um, and really seeing what they can do now and what exhibitions they can carry some have canceled um but that being said we we've started receiving new requests as well so people are still planning for future exhibitions um and it is still processing we've had quite a few loans return um and then we've also shipped out uh our first uh outgoing ones again August, we had our first one start shipping out again. Um, we've actually had much more activity in exhibitions at LACMA, shipping out and shipping in. Um, we deinstalled a dispersed and indemnified exhibition uh, in September. Um, however, the way that we usually do them at LACMA now is we actually indemnify on site and not as much in the shipping. So we weren't as affected by a lot of institutions that do indemnity from nail to nail. Um, which has worked out. So we had in the show that I dispersed, there was one loan that was supposed to be indemnified in transit. Um, we weren't able to meet those conditions that were needed. So the lender ended up insuring it for the transit back, which was fine. Um, but everything else had ended at our outgoing check at LACMA. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a mass of virtual courier organization for that because every lender had been planning to send a courier um, and no one ended up doing it. So it was a lot of, um, a lot more reg preparation as Marie was alluding to earlier um, in order to make that happen. Um, and then for the shipping, similar to what Stephanie was saying, we utilized all the, all the stuff, uh, the type trackers, the bookend couriers, um, the trusted agents, constant communication, the email chains with 20 people on them that you get 40 emails for the full shipping from beginning to end. Um, but I will say for, for that exhibition in particular, I mean, we had passenger, freighter, truck, domestic, and international shipments, and they all went really smoothly. Um, there were, of course, hiccups because shipping, there's always a hiccup, um, but through communication and quick reaction, everything was resolved um, very quickly. And I, I really feel like all of those shipments went as smoothly as they could have gone had a courier been on them. Um, 
So that's my two cents for that exhibition. Yeah, and thank you for saying, making the comment about budget being an impact on exhibition planning in general, but just like how an institution has to rearrange themselves to try and get through this hump that we're all going through. And um, it's interesting the point you made about indemnity ending at the institution rather than being part of the travel. And it was good that that lender was able to ensure that peace for you all. Um, and what I wanted to circle back to though, was to ask if in some of the experiences that you're you've been going through the last few months with LACMA, of course, Marie, with um, the deinstallation that you did at Abu Dhabi, um, the Louvre Abu Dhabi, have there been methods during those shipments or those deinstallations that have been really successful that you think you might see using again in the future, regardless of travel bans or restrictions in any way, shape, or form? Um, well, we we have uh, tried to. The objective was uh, to maintain the level of trust with our partner institutions. So we felt like we, we, we should give them the more information uh, that we could and, and the more guarantee that we could. So, um, <clears throat> yes, we, we used, of course, uh, live streams such as uh, yeah, video conference with the Little different that in Abu Dhabi there are, there are some uh, FaceTime or WhatsApp video is not working, um, so uh, we used more like Zoom or Teams, but it, it went okay. What, what was difficult was the time difference because like like us now we are nine hours different between Irene and I, and it is the same when we would like to work with um, Caitlin at the Met and and us in Abu Dhabi. So that that was quite challenging. So it, it made very early uh, calls for people in the United States and quite late for people in Abu Dhabi, but it went okay. Um, for the shipping, what we did was WhatsApp group involving everyone that were moderated by um, either the person from the Louvre Abu Dhabi who was accompanying the artworks or the uh, Hazenkamp airport supervisor who was uh, taking picture of everything at every step. Picture that we can't normally take because of security, obvious security reason. Um, this time we, we decided to change that. So we took picture of the palette before and after palletization. We took picture of the palettes in the secured uh, freezed room uh, waiting for the departure of the the planes and lenders could see in in live i mean in direct where were their their, their palette their crates their artwork so that was i think quite reassuring um what we did as well and for that i would like to to thank uh, the musée de l'armée because uh, the exhibition was about uh, chivalry and uh, chivalry in the middle ages so we had um, armors, uh, knight and horse armors, which which are artworks quite complicated to deinstall when you are not an, an specialist in, in arms from Middle Ages. It's not a painting to hang in and out. <laughs> so they, they proposed us um, a video tutorial uh, made especially for us with one of their armor in France. Um, commented at every step that we were able to send before the deinstallation to the art handlers and the registrant side to watch again and again and ask the question. So they, they were very committed to help us 
provide the best level of information and of solution to yeah to to, to compen compensate I'm not sure yeah well to uh, their the, the, their physical absence um, so and 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 one of my objective as well was to provide the condition reports and and the picture less than 24 hours uh, after the operation which was much more challenging than I thought because processing the whole thousands of pictures that were taken by the team on site, which was great because we needed those very detailed pictures, but it was a huge, huge, tedious and, and not funny work uh, to download pictures from one sector FTP to another and to process them and rename them and send them. But it was difficult, but I think that uh, amount of, information was reassuring. Um, so uh, I, I don't know whether all these methods are interesting to, to keep for the future, uh, but, but it was quite interesting to find them and to discuss with all the parties, the lenders and the Louvre Abu Dhabi team on site and to exchange about what will work or what won't work and uh, and in the end, uh, I think like like you were in, it went as smoothly as possible considering the situation. Uh, from the deinstallation in the exhibition gallery uh, to the transport, uh, and we 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 used as well. Uh, I mean, five six uh, shipments uh, through uh, to Paris, uh, freight of flights via Amsterdam without anyone here to oversee, I mean, no courier to oversee the, the unloading and we, we de delegate to Cortman company in Amsterdam and then ship by truck to France and, and everything has been possible um, to, by maintaining the, 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 the trust and with the discussion because it, it was all about trust. Because when you do a live uh, stream condition report, I mean, you, you can't see very well. I mean, the person behind the screen is obliged to, to trust the person who is actually seeing the artworks because the, there is always lack of, of light or, or not the right angle to show the, the artwork. So, so trust is quite um, important in, in all this. And, and I think it has reinforced a lot the trust between the institutions involved in this exhibition. Uh, and that is a very good positive uh, point about all these uh, brand new ways of, of doing things. Speaking of the trust, and, and this is a question for, for everyone here, um, how do you ensure trust? And Or, I mean, is there a way that you assess the capabilities of people uh, that you're partnering with, or do you, you know, do you require, or would you require in the future, um, a third party uh, contract conservator or registrar to make sure that they don't have a conflict of interest? For you know, if you're borrowing institution, you know, uh, they wouldn't necessarily want to uh, report, you know, some minor damage, for example. So, uh, how how would you go about that process? And is that something that you think is sustainable. It seems now very cumbersome, but uh, you know, is it possible that we systematize this more so that it does become easier to to create this trust 
uh, going forward? Um, well, for us, normally we always have this third party, for example, for condition reports. Um, this time we couldn't. So uh, the, the trust mainly uh, was based on the fact that uh, people know each other. We have done the installation and a representative of lenders came in Abu Dhabi and saw the way that everyone is working there. And um, so sometimes a few person asked me about uh, their qualification, but it was very, uh, one one time and and i mean the other were so willing to see this work and uh, that that they said okay uh, and we, we we negotiate with the insurer as well to keep uh, a normal insurance rate because that was not certain i mean considering the the way we are doing things without a con contradictory condition report the insurer might have said uh we we won't follow you on this one and but we explained um we give a lot of detail and the insurer follow us as well and uh, we are doing now we are collecting the, the the impression and the feedback from the lenders to improve ourselves to see what has been working what has not been working and um and and we, we're gonna use that for for the future to see what 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 we can keep keep uh, and, and what we, we can help. So John, can I add just to that? I, I think that this is, um, it's something that uh, we need to, we'll need to continue to build um, trust uh, around this particular issue when we're giving over the control of our works, when we have typically sent uh, a representative from our own staff. Um, this is something that's certainly come up as a question and a topic that uh, we feel we need to um, explore more fully. Um, I think, you know, third party registrar or conservator is always an option, um, but ideally we'd like to um, fully utilize the, the staff where it is possible um, for uh, borrowing institutions um, and, and build on that reciprocity. Um, and we hope that they will allow us to do the same. Um, I th there definitely will need to be uh, transparency around uh, the training and experience for specific staff members who will be um, um, you know, acting on our behalf, um, but you know, we're we're grateful that we do have extensive partnership with so many institutions. So a lot of that exists already, but for sure, we'll need to continue to build. Right. I, I mean, I, this is where I think um, things like the courier training that's being offered uh, and developed by you know the UK registrars the the Dutch and the Scandinavian or Nordic uh, registrars that ARX is putting through is going to create sort of a baseline level of knowledge that I think, um, and, and, you know, others may, may, may come through with a similar type of training, but I think that will also, in, you know, ensure a certain level of competence and instill some confidence uh, in, in lenders, sort of as you're saying. But I think the ultimate show of, of trust, as you say, Stephanie, is is the fact that you trust the borrowing institution to do some of these things. So I have an odd of, thing. Go oh, ahead. go ahead, John. I was just saying I was that just there's gonna... a lot of, <laughs> a lot of chat. Clearly I've been away chat. for a few months in this. So, <laughs> I don't even know how to talk on zoom with yeah. you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> go but go it. ahead. 
Uh, well, I was just going to add that I didn't have... So we had sent an object to New York to be conserved, and it's not the same as traveling exhibitions or, or what have you, but um, the conservator needed to get the object out of the city because it was going into lockdown and they weren't going to be able to work on the piece. And so we were presented with a weird situation where they wanted to bring it to their studio, but that was like up in Poughkeepsie. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's not necessarily very close, but not necessarily too, too far away from New York City. Um, but she she wanted to take it in her personal vehicle. And so like all these red flags are flying in my brain, like in no situation would this ever be okay? So I have found that I'm communicating with my insurance provider way more during this closure than I, than I have in the past. And although I would encourage you to communicate with them as much as possible because they're wonderful. Um, but asking questions like that, like how ridiculous is this something our insurance is okay with? We had her fill out a facilities report for her studio. I made her put like two different fire extinguishers in there. I mean, and she was, the, but talking about relationships, like they were very willing to, you know, fill out the facilities report for me, give me as much of the information as they could. And, you know, was it a baseline of a scenario that we were okay letting our object go there, you know, under the guise of a well-respected conservator, there was no question of their like ethical or professional professionalism, but this whole situation in context was just so different than what we've ever worked in before. Um, and so that's just a different scenario where we, you know, we went through some weird hoops. We asked, you know, some questions we probably wouldn't have typically asked of them, but the relationship's strong. I mean, you know, I'd never have a concern or question. I, you know, like I want to send them five other things, please conserve these other pieces in our collection. It's really built on that relationship. And it's been the same, like with uh, some of the installations we've had to change out while we've been closed. Uh, you know, it's always like the first day of installation when you're working with a new institution, it's like the hardest day to get through because you're figuring out how to work with each other. But by the end of it, you know, it's a wonder, you've really made a really strong relationship. I haven't had in my experience a bad one so far. And um, I think because of those scenarios, when it came time for us to deinstall an exhibition and it wasn't safe for the lending organization to send their staff, they actually had some confidence, you know, they had confidence in us to take the show down. Um, and we did FaceTime and we talked and we emailed and many more photographs were sent and more documents were processed than we typically would. But it, it worked out, as you all had, have said, as smoothly as it could have been. But in, in the future, I would look forward to working with an institution, that institution again, because it was such a successful relationship under a very stressful time period. And that's been a really positive thing that's come out of a lot of this. So with with the idea of trust, that's sort of like one key component of this equation. If if we can, you know, manage the trust side, then we have to manage the cost side. And one thing that's uh, a big component, big part of this question, is uh, are you getting pressure from upper administration and uh, in order to maintain this no courier standard um, and you know, I look, I don't want I don't want anybody to you know feel weird about talking about their upper administration and what their demands uh, are at this point. But I, I kind of want to turn this over to Sarah to see if there's any way that uh, the courier uh, task force could help in sort of creating, is there anything that you're doing in order to maybe create uh, trust and dialogue between registrars and their upper administration who might be, you know, under, you know, heavy budget constraints that, um, that maybe we can, you know, confidently uh, create a, um, a guideline in order to uh, move forward with with similar protocols. Maybe not as extreme as they are now, but you know, move forward with something uh, more akin to 
um, you know, what a registrar would typically prefer. Yeah, I think this is this is something that our group has talked a lot about. Um, it's something that uh, we were kind of tasked with um, before COVID, um, when we were kind of morphing from the career training um, into um, kind of what what our, our future goals were. And, and we're really, I think, committed to looking at guidelines. Um, I think it's important. It's actually why I personally uh, wanted to be involved with the Courier Group and ARCS, um, because yes. as a small to mid-sized museum, I was seeing a lot of um, you know, we, we do a fair amount of sending couriers out, but we also host many couriers. And I was seeing um, kind of a wide range of practice um, and, and reasoning to send couriers. And I would love to see us as a professional organ organization um, and even globally, um, you know, really look at um, what those standards are for sending someone. Standards for training, like John was saying, I think that um, courier training that kicked off in March, um, if that can get back um, into the rotation and, and, and we start um, that on a regular basis, I think that could be a great benchmark for, for people that are um, couriers out in the field. Um, and, and we definitely, I think, are talking a lot about um, the decision-making process within institutions. And our group has been working on kind of a deci courier decision-making tool that we're going to share soon. Um, just kind of looking at the reasons to send couriers, possible issues, solutions, and just kind of making sure that internally we're all looking at, um, you know, what the, the reasons are and um, all of the different options we have when, when, um, sending a courier with, with a work of art. Well, one thing that, it, that um, this methodology, and, and when I say this methodology, I'm talking about, you know, maybe book in couriers and, you know, not buying, um, you know, first class tickets for people to fly around the world. I know we all love our, our courier trips and, and all that stuff, but um, it's obviously very pricey. Um, but what, what, this type of protocol, and maybe it's it's not appropriate for everything, but it does allow smaller institutions to um, have access to things, uh, to, to loans that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to afford. Um, if, if uh, I don't know if that's actually, you know, maybe the case of your institution or in other, maybe other people's institutions, but, you know, if we go back to the, to the pre-pandemic ways, um, it, it makes it for a very strong hierarchy. Uh, of, of museums. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I think key to all of this, well, not key, but one, we can never go back to where we were in many, many ways. I think we all know that. Um, but also I, I think it's huge to remember that, especially when working with your administration, um, compromise is huge, right? Like you can't just expect them to you can't just stick your heels in and dig in and say, this is the way we've done it because this is how we've always done it and this is how we'll always continue to do it. We are no longer where we used to be. And I feel like these last few months have really given us an opportunity to explore various um, career alternatives. And I, I think it's important that we continue to use a lot of those, um, both because of what you're saying, John. I mean, money is a significant factor in what exhibitions can be held where 
and who can borrow what. Um, and even in the larger institutions, money is still a thing. We're all still nonprofits. Uh, we're all seeing our budgets tighten. And if this is a way that we are able to continue the exhibitions on the scale that we are now and be able to see things from Paris, from Shanghai, from New York, then I, I feel like it's our responsibility as well to look to see where we can compromise and where we can continue to work these factors in. I'm not saying do anything unsafe, but there's a lot of really good things that are coming out of this and the virtual courier and the first bookend courier are great solutions to many, many levels. Well, think about your exhibitions budget, you know, you know, and say, you know, Stephanie mentioned that, you know, she's got a small sample size of 20 exhibitions. Well, for many institutions, that's like five years of exhibitions, right? Um, so imagine if just five of those, you know, you did book in couriers and you're not, you know, say paying for all these plane tickets. I mean, that's already, you know, tens of thousands of dollars that you're saving in your exhibitions budget. So it may not be appropriate for, for everything, but certainly for, um, you know, a percentage in, uh, of, of exhibitions. Um, so, and, and again, I, I'm a believer that, um, that we can, you know, train people and, and bring more of this into the fold just because, um, not only because we will have to, but because, uh, we, we, we will <laughs> essentially, um, all be getting very good training at this, uh, you know, we are all getting to the point now where we travel to international conferences and we, we do so many webinars online. We are all getting a certain level of training now. And, um, you know, and, you know, of course there's going to be install issues. Uh, you know, we can't all install armor on our own, but, um, and, you know, especially contemporary art is going to be, uh, very difficult to do, um, you know, via video chat, but it's, I think that for, you know, I've heard ranges of, of objects that are like, say 2d wall objects being anywhere from, you know, 60 to 90% of objects that get shipped. I mean, you know, despite value, you know, there's, you know, we can, we can, we can let go of a lot of that stuff. And th this is just my opinion. Um, I, I work for myself. I don't work for an institution. I'm not uh, pushing anything, but, um, Anyway, that's that's my thought. I think uh, we've got a lot of chatter in the chat. Um, is there anything that we should uh, uh, address in there, Robin? Well, yeah, it's been really fun to read because there's like it's like active right now. Um, one thing that someone pointed out too is just that there's a question too about the carbon footprint comparable to sending a human courier and doing the virtual courier route. Um, I think that is an interesting point. You know what I mean? Because that's something that. You know, AIC has a, has a mission for sustainability and they have a group that deals with that and kind of looking at all those items. So that might be a, a thing to kind of think about eventually as we talk about this difference between, you know, virtual and live currying. Um, and a lot of the discussion was talking about, is this going to be permanent changes? Um, which again, I think someone said in here, like, I feel like our lives, I think it was Aaron, I think I feel like our lives have gone through a huge permanent change over the past couple of months. So it's kind of just us dealing with it um, and kind of handle it. Um, someone else was asking too if any of you have been dealing with any of the data pulled from trackers. Have any of you started looking at the information pulled from that and just kind of using it for other purposes or kind of examining it or have you all had time for it or do we still feel like we're in kind of this recovery mode from months of not being able to do anything? 
We have started to. Um, we've had quite a few shipments, exhibition, and outgoing loans that we've put um, trackers in. Uh, I will say, I don't know if anybody else when they've used them. Sometimes it's too much information. Sometimes I don't want to know all that information about my loan uh, that's happening. But uh, what we're trying to do with outgoing loans, um, we're putting, at least right now, to kind of develop the data and use it for our own benefit. Uh, we had a double crated loan. So we put a, we're going to put a tracker inside the inner crate and the outer crate to see how well the climate is actually holding and how well our crates are working um, and vibration, all of that, and kind of use that to help increase our or improve our crate building. Um, we have not, we're kind of in the process of that now, but that's, that's one of the hopes we're trying to get from pulling that information as well. Robin, just to chirp in about the other question about whether this is a permanent change. Um, certainly what we're hearing here at MoMA is that this will be permanent impact, whether that means the reduction or complete elimination uh, of courier trips. Um, and we're now navigating uh, what will uh, constitute an exception um, to uh, the policy that has been put together. So that's sort of where we are um, with the question about permanence. Then does that mean that you are just basically put in the position to actively find a way to uh, meet your collections care standards uh, using avail all available tools, essentially? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that we've received and our director Glenn Lowry has been working closely with AAMD and with BZO uh, as well as the director of the AIC and I think uh, a number of other institutions that are really closely aligned on making this a permanent um, to you know this is something we need to get comfortable with because it's something that we'll be dealing with um, for the foreseeable future. I will second Stephanie. We are along those lines as well. Um, we are trying to severely restrict courier travel for outgoing loans. Um, again, there's always exceptions because nobody knows what the future holds, but that is where we are moving as well to make this a more permanent solution. Um, for us, exhibitions that is a little bit different when we tour an, an entire exhibition and we ensure entire exhibition. Uh, I believe we will still continue to be sending couriers because as Marie has very clearly laid out. It's a lot more work um, when you don't have that uh, ability, um, but that's where we're moving towards as well. Um, so you mentioned uh, AAMD and Glenn Lowry, of course, is also a, uh, a board member there. Um, they, they issued a statement on um, their about you know the courier trips and, and everything and the statement is essentially uh aamd does does aim to significantly curtail courier travel permanently as a means of cost reduction across all museums um is is that part of of these decisions uh, I, I assume it is the case of uh, of moma but what what's your response well he he's made it clear that cost is not the driving factor here uh -huh. that this is it's it is a consideration but um you know uh, sustainability and uh our need to keep our staff 
uh, within our building to be able to, to fulfill all of our uh, other endeavors. Um, all of that has been figured in. So um, the fact that cost reduction is sort of the one named um, item in the statement uh, is a little regrettable because I think it's it's maybe one of many considerations here. Yeah. Uh, Marie, is there anything on the European side that is uh, similar? Any, say, whether it's a French registrar group or a European group that is making a similar sort of declaration on behalf of museums to reduce courier travel? Well, uh, not, not that I'm aware of, which doesn't definitely doesn't mean that it is not the case. Um, I, I know that we all are, are thinking right now what to do. And uh, I mean, our institution, Agence France Museum, um, has a board composed with uh, mainly the, 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 the president of, of very important French uh, institution, national institution. So when those people meet and discuss um, uh, such uh, subject, we can we can sort of uh, view view it as a as a global reflection. I mean, um, for for French uh, institution, we like I said, I think I'm not talking for European, but for French institution, we are going to go slow. Uh, with all this innovation. This is, um, we are, I mean, we are the ancient world, and but we are uh, yeah, willing to, to move uh, along with everyone. But I think uh, it, will, it, it will take time uh, to, for, for every institution to, to let go um, uh, that kind of, of, of ways to, to do things. Uh, but uh, but definitely people are uh, thinking right now not only about the cost and and I mean from my organization we were pre-COVID already very uh, pushed to 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 manage the the cost and and mutualize the courier because because we are spending money that that is. Uh, given to us and we, we need to report and, and that, that this money is, is well used for, for, for a reasonable reason. Uh, so uh, it is a question we, we always have in mind, uh, is it reasonable to send two or three courier from the same institution because it is different departments? So uh, th this, this type of question we, we are now mandatory because of of, of, of the global situation, but uh, we, we always always has has it in mind, and now uh, we are going to have them with our partner, uh, and 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 that is what's interesting. We we, we won't be the, the only one uh, asking other to make an effort about that. We will we are going to think globally on on this question, and and maybe maybe a bit. Yeah, a, a bit, a bit slowly, but but we we are definitely having uh, the, the, those questions in mind. I think we need to ask one more final question here, and that is looking for the for the future um, of 
the protocols that we have enacted for um for the time being the temporary protocols what which are the ones that you think are most likely to be things that we adopt uh, on a permanent or semi-permanent basis uh we'll start with uh can we start with uh, stephanie Sure, thanks. I think um, it'll be a, a continuation of what we have experimented with uh, starting this summer. So um, we've used widely the, the uh, bookend couriers, likewise, uh, the video conversations in different formats, um, and the multi-sensor trackers. I think we'll be doing that rather extensively going forward. How about Aaron? Yeah, just second what Stephanie said. I think we will continue to use pretty much everything we started now. Um, I will say one of the things I do love about this versus the live courier is being able to split up tasks along the courier trip. So I can have a registrar oversee the shipment. I can have a conservator be present to highlight condition issues. I can have a prep be there to oversee the install. I love being able to split that up so it really suits the best skills. And like if I had a three-day shipment, I can split that up between multiple people so no one person has to stay awake the whole time. So for me, that's one of the best things that in the Tide Tracker that have come out of this, um, which I don't know how long it would have taken us to get there without the pandemic. Um, so I do look forward to seeing that continue, I would say. Marie? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, video conference uh, will definitely uh, stay uh, because uh, there, there definitely are some artwork that that allows us to use these ways, and uh, and we we shall improve ourselves uh, in some very practical questions such as uh, which device is the more appropriate? Is it a computer, a laptop? Is it an iPad? Is it your phone? depending on, on, on what artworks you are trying to film. Is it a, a very small piece of, or a very big one? I think now we, we, we can go further in, in those very practical uh, reflection rather than just a principle that, that, that was in, in our mind before. And now we, we can get into in, deeper into things. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think video conference and I think maybe uh, what you, you called pointed career and, and I wasn't familiar with with the, the, this uh, uh, expression but yes uh, um, I mean trust a person on site in Abu Dhabi to accompany the work at the airport and send people at the arrival that that seems to me quite possible to to, to, to keep and to continue okay uh, and then uh, Sarah do you have anything to add yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, as as a <clears throat> borrowing institution, I'd really love to see a lot more um, contract conservators and registrars involved whenever possible as a um, alternative to a courier, um, you know, in terms of budget and then also um, just timing. Um, I think for us that might give us a little bit more leverage to be able to borrow from some of the major institutions that are not going to be sending couriers, but maybe we can negotiate to have a conservator, a third party conservator oversee, um, you know, the loan from start to finish in terms of 
um, unpacking and, and installation and condition reporting. So I'd like to be able to work with our lenders um, to be able to, to do that a little bit more. I think that would be great. Wonderful. Well, I think we're about at the time to start wrapping things up. But before we go, we did want to um, have Sarah give a, a quick update to everybody about some of the work that the subtask force has been doing and some of the resources that may become available shortly. Yeah, I think I mentioned um, the courier decision making tool. So we're working on that. Um, we are also um, pulling together. There's so many great resources out there right now um, about courier um, travel and decision-making and practice during COVID. And so we want to pull all of those together in one place and we're working on um, getting all of that together for you all on uh, the ARCS website. So look for that um, soon. Excellent. Um, and as I said before, we will make sure that resources are posted to the podcast when it goes out and um, some of the other things we might have touched on today will make sure are available to you guys. And I think, Robin, you have a few ARCs things you want to throw out to everyone? Yeah, just real quick. Um, well, I'm going to say the conversation in the chat is still humming along. So I think if you guys want to keep this going, um, we do have, a, if you're a member of ARCs, you can use our forum. You can post some questions on there and we can get replies to you. We also try to archive these uh, discussions every time. So we'll grab those as well. And if there's direct questions to any of our panelists, we'll be sure to get those to them. For ARCs though, um, just a couple of things. Most likely at the end of this week, there's gonna be some information regarding our upcoming conference, including conference proposals for late 2021 coming out. So please keep an eye on your inbox for that. Um, there'll be information on what we're looking for, what our conference might be looking like and all sorts of fun information. So keep an eye out for that. And um, the other thing is that for ARCS members, we are planning on hopefully doing some sort of a holiday party at, in the middle of the month. So again, keep an eye on that. You'll receive an invitation in your inbox. Um, we have some surprises planned. So keep an eye on that for that as well. And our next ARCS chat should be happening early January. So we're still doing the programming. We're still going to be here. We know 2021 is going to be hopefully better than 2020 and we will be going from there. So um, that's all I have. So let me know if anyone else wants to say anything else. And I wanna say again, a great thanks to all of our panelists for showing up today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your contributions. There's just so much to talk about here. I just wish we could have a, a full day to, to go through it all, but uh, the, the chat will keep us all involved for a while. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you all again. We really appreciate it. And now I'd like to introduce A Day in the Life, a segment where we celebrate the unique experiences of collections care professionals. In keeping with the theme of the courier, Alicia Thomas describes a harrowing entry into Russia with a French masterpiece. Hi, my name is Alicia Thomas. I'm an independent contractor living in Palm Springs, California, and I've been a museum registrar for 27 years. I've worked at institutions both large and small, including Vassar College, the J. Paul Getty Museum, the National Gallery of Art, and Palm Springs Art Museum. Uh, we've all had our share of exciting and adventurous career trips, I'm sure. The one that I'm going to share with you today is from the time that I was working at the National Gallery in Washington. 
And it's the story of a small French masterpiece going on view at one of the most amazing museums in the world, the Imperial Hermitage Galleries in St. Petersburg, Russia. The painting was Chardin's House of Cards, which the artist painted in about 1737. And it had been purchased by Catherine II, Empress of Russia, who gave it to the Hermitage in 1774. Years later, it was purchased by Andrew W. Mellon, who donated it to the National Gallery in 1937. The painting was a jewel in the French collection, and it rarely traveled. Given its size, which is about 30 by 26 inches, it went into a small crate and could easily go on a passenger flight. The trip sounded easy and straightforward, despite the fact that it was the dead of winter. As is often the case with courier trips, you want to minimize the number of aircraft that you fly on so that there's no chance that your cargo will be offloaded at a stopping point. Therefore, we trucked from DC to JFK in New York and caught a flight directly to Helsinki. Um, upon arrival in Helsinki, we started uh, to truck to Russia, about typically about a 10-hour trip. For reasons not explained to me, I was put into a follow car, and of course the cargo was in a truck. And everything went smoothly until the border crossing. Approximately 7 million people cross the border between Finland and Russia a year, so needless to say, there was a lot of traffic. My car had to go down one road while the truck was in the freight line, so to speak. And it took about three hours for the truck and cargo to clear customs, at which point I'm just waiting in the follow car for it to appear. During this time, two border guards start loitering around my car. They were carrying AK-47s, some kind of assault rifle, um, and looking at me, but I'm sure I probably looked as strange to them as they did to me. So after a few hours, the journey continued and we trucked all day and into the night. We finally made a pit stop and I was surprised when a small car came careening out of nowhere and stopped between my follow car and the truck with the Chardin. Within minutes, two men carrying assault rifles jump out of the car and start to approach my vehicle. I froze for a minute, then I recognized them. These were the same two guards that were at the border crossing and they had followed us and in my exhausted state because we had been traveling for about 40 hours at this point I thought oh no this is it I'm going to be the only courier in history that has lost a painting and then it dawned on me with huge relief I realized this was my security escort through the territories of Russia how I missed that detail I will never know in the end, we made it to the gallery safe and sound. We secured the painting in the vault of the Hermitage and the rest of the trip went relatively smoothly. When we finally reinstalled the painting, I breathed a huge sigh of relief. The Chardin was back at the Hermitage where it had hung for 157 years and I was finally free to explore 
the Hermitage Collection in St. Petersburg, Russia. Go wash your hands.